you are not you. You're me. No shit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Digital Side. This is Cliff Madrew, Vice President of our Solution Architect team at Iron Mountain. And I'm joined by my co-host, James. Uh, hi, this is uh, James Down. I'm uh, the Principal Architect for Digital Solutions Globally. And uh, this is our third show, so we're very excited. Uh, three is a powerful number, as uh, all my numerologists out there know. So it's going to be a powerful show. Uh, I do want to say one thing before we get started. I want to thank everyone who has emailed and uh, supported and said that uh, they're enjoying the show. I hope you still enjoy the show and keep the emails coming. We, uh, we want to hear from you. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some powerful stuff today. Cliff. That we are. Today we are going to cover privacy. So hopefully everyone got the movie reference. That was Total Recall. Um, and that was uh, relevant to the conversation today because we're going to tie in really kind of the modern day challenges that we face in this digital era around privacy. There's an awful lot going on in terms of different uh, rules, regulations, laws uh, that have come either into effect or coming into effect that, um, you know, mandate specific considerations for, for businesses around how they deal with privacy and consumer information and private information. Um, but there's also technology uh, that has a major impact on the privacy of an individual as their identity exists in the digital realm. And what I mean by that, if you think about social media, you think about all of the modern day rich media content that's being developed and delivered in this digital world, it has major implications on how that content can be leveraged, you know, both in favor of and against um, privacy concerns. So we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail. We're going to relate that back to a couple different references uh, with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, just because there happen to be a couple different movies that really dig into this topic and a couple of uh, videos out there on the internet that also relate. So, um, you know, James, I don't know if you want to set up just why we played that first clip and talk a little bit about that. Uh, sure. So I've been a little obsessed with privacy lately. Um, I actually saw a clip uh, a couple weeks ago uh, of Mark Zuckerberg. It was a deep fake, right? And he said some sinister things that obviously wasn't him, but it looked like him, right? So on a personal level, I'm not a big fan of how easy it is to become an entity on, on the internet, right? So I don't have social media other than LinkedIn. I, I try to keep as much as I can my personal life separate from what happens online. Um, and I even don't think that is enough, right? So there was just a, another breach a couple of days ago uh, where all the banks lost uh, fingerprint information that you're using to log into their apps, right? So if you're online, you're essentially there, right? Your identity is out there. So I've been really thinking about, you know, how do you protect yourself? And there's this idea that privacy doesn't even exist on the internet anymore or in digitally anymore. And it's a big deal for an individual, right? It's a big deal from my perspective because obviously my information is valuable to me. But it's kind of a bigger deal, you know, from a corporate standpoint. How does a company protect itself, especially in a landscape where you're talking about, you know, you can create content that looks like it comes from the company. It looks like it looks like an officer of the company is speaking where they can go in and clean out your user data. And the government's trying to react to that now. But on a personal level, the reason we played that clip and the reason this topic came up and, and Cliff and I talked about this offline, I'm really kind of obsessed with where my personal space ends and where my digital presence begins, right? And I think you have to be really cognizant of that. And that clip in particular is gonna relate back to some of the deep fake stuff we talk about, but 
you really don't know if the person you're talking to is the person you're talking to, nor can you from a personal level know if your data integrity is maintained or if somebody else is posing as you. And that's kind of where that clip came from. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the challenges around protecting your data, but also show you some of the things that are happening and some of the things that are, you know, almost make you a Luddite, right? Like I'm not scared of technology. I don't dislike technology, but I do dislike the idea that I don't have a private space anymore, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I, I agree um, in terms of it's very difficult to discern whether or not you really do have an element of privacy when you're creating an account um, that you, you may be setting as private um, because there's been multiple cases where accounts have either been hijacked or information has been leaked. Um, you mentioned a couple times, though, and I just want to add clarity for those. It may be a newer concept around a deep fake um, and just what that is. And, and, you know, just I wanted to describe that a little bit more. So, um, you know, deep fakes are really, if you think about um, most people are familiar with photoshopping an image, right? The ability to go and, you know, change the way an image looks to meet whatever you're trying to accomplish, right? Whether you're just trying to remove blemishes on somebody's skin or you're actually trying to really alter that image in some way. Deepfake leverages machine learning and it basically can do image synthesis based on artificial intelligence. So you can train by leveraging a data set of videos that may be from online uh, of an individual you can you know, leverage that data set to train a machine learning algorithm and leverage artificial intelligence to then synthesize a new video that merges, um, you know, merges the elements of the video together. So you can basically represent or alter a video to represent somebody that wasn't in the original video. So I'm going to show an example of this just to... Uh, to, to solidify the concept a little bit better. If you're watching this video, it will be helpful. If not, you can listen to the audio, but uh, ultimately what you're about to see is um, is an individual who is on, what is it, SNL, uh, Bill Hader. Yeah, um, right. And uh, he's impersonating Arnold Schwarzenegger and what, uh, what this particular YouTube account called Control Shift Face did was a deep face, uh, excuse me, a deep fake that brought Arnold Schwarzenegger's face onto uh, Bill Bill Hader's face. So basically it looks right, like Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. Right. Yep, doing an impression of him. So I'm going to play that for everybody and um, let you uh, enjoy that for just a moment. You've uh, been over, visited me. I know your yes. kids, uh, uh, your, is this being passed on? To yes, yes. Our, our, our two-year-old right now, I'll say, how old are you? And she goes, I'm four and a half which is her older sister's four and a half. And I go, no, you're not. You're not four and a half. And then she grabs my face and goes, four and a half. <laughs> that was also kind of a Schwarzenegger a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm four and a half father. <laughs> you got to get out of here. Get out of this. It's a bombing deal. Get out. <laughs> Dad, come on. You got to go. I need to pull up on now. You need to go watch Peppa Pig. Come on. I love Schwarzenegger as a baby. Yeah. This is so much fun. I want to watch Doc McStuffins. <laughs> and then I need my yogurt. Come on. So that was just a little uh, little clip of that video. But uh, 
again, the subtlety of that video is is what's intriguing to me in terms of the transition of uh, from one face to another. And if you were to show someone just the zoomed in clip when the impersonation is happening, you probably would just think that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, uh, making a joke or something, right? So um, in this case, you know, very lighthearted, just a fun uh, use of the technology, but the reality of that technology is is a little bit disturbing and scary. And uh, James, uh, the clip that you mentioned, um, uh, I, I believe you mentioned it or you wanted to mention um, around uh, Mark Zuckerberg, right? And that was floating around the internet around a, a deep fake. You know, that, that one in particular, right, was a, a little bit... Uh, much more sinister. Much, much more sinister, yep. So, so you know, what, what's crazy to me is that even 10, 15 years ago, this was literally science fiction, right? Like, people didn't think this was... This was like, oh, hey, this is never going to happen. But we've come so far in the last couple of years that the line, at least digitally, between reality and stuff that's created is, is incredibly blurred. And the danger becomes the more information you leave out there, the more information that's available to, you know, these nefarious people, the more ammunition you're giving them to, to kind of influence the narrative of your company or your personality online. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies is uh, The Running Man. Um, so I'm dating myself a little bit, but when I was a kid, that was a big movie that was out with Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger's kind of a theme today. So there's a clip in Arnold Schwarzenegger in that, in that movie that kind of predicted this, right? And it was very primitive and it was very science fiction-y, but it came to pass in a really prescient way. Um, it's almost like that, that movie and movies like that, that dystopian future are kind of predicting where we're at, right? So this is actually one of my favorite clips. Do you want, you want to play that one? Yeah, quick? I'll play that one real quick. Hang on one sec. So while you set it up, this is uh, right after... Arnold Schwarzenegger's character has a fight. I don't know if people have seen uh, or the, the audience has seen um, The Running Man, but it's about a criminal. He's not really a criminal, but he uh, he gets on this reality show where criminals have to like fight to the death, right? So, of course, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. They can't kill him. He's killed like eight guys have tried to kill him. So the TV network uh, stages this scene that, that you don't see the fight scene, but they take a an actor and they put his face on it, right? And then they fight and they kill Arnold Schwarzenegger. Not for real. You know, that's the, the kind of twist in the movie. But in this particular clip, the audience thinks he's dead. And this shows you what they did to kind of facilitate that scene. So, I'm sure everybody will appreciate that uh, appreciate that spoiler that you just provided to them. Well, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> all right, let me play the clip real quick. Okay, dismantle all the overlays. Put the uh, digital man in the pixel memory storage. You know, the damn thing worked like a charm. It should. Edit'll charge us an arm and a leg for the software. <laughs> So, so I, quite interesting that uh, that they're referencing that they uh, basically a software company charged them an arm and a leg for them to uh, <laughs> to get the software in order to do this. But um, but just as interesting that you know the technology really does exist today, and we just demonstrated something that uh, you know that was produced with really open source software, right? Um, so it's generally available to be able to leverage machine learning capabilities and artificial intelligence uh, as a whole to, uh, to, to accomplish these types of, of tasks. And, um, and, and that's the part that from a pr privacy perspective, right? It becomes a bit more concerning, right? With your photos, with your videos, with images and, Maybe you personally, but it may be a political figure, right? It may be 
um, you know, someone that, um, that has a following, um, that, you know, is, is, is being used or leveraged, right. To, um, to accomplish some nefarious act. Right. So, um, anyway, that, you know, that, uh, that just shows an example of, uh, of some of the predictions that movies make, right. Uh, and, and then they end up, uh, really becoming reality in the future. So, so I, I think it's actually easier for an individual to protect themselves. Right. So, you know, like I said, I, I'm committed to not having a personal digital presence, right? I don't want that. Everything I do online is work-related. All my, you know, the only thing I do is LinkedIn and, and these podcasts and work-related stuff. If you want to protect yourself from deep fakes, from compromises, from hacking, whatever you want to call it, you have to be very careful what you do online, right? But you also have to not supply that information. So you can, you know, Steve Wolzenack from, I never say his name right, but the guy from uh, um, Apple said that you should get off the internet. And and I actually kind of agree with him. So I'm divesting myself from a digital presence, right? That's easier for an individual. It's much, much harder for a company. A company by its nature has to advertise, has to market, has to have a presence digitally. And on top of that, and, and I think this is important too, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit in a second, but the companies that are out there have to collect information about their customers and they have to store that information. And one of the things that every company is doing now, uh, including us is, you know, this internet of things, they're collecting this tremendous amount of information and they're trying to monetize it and they're trying to mine. it. The problem is that once that information exists, who controls it, who owns it, what is your responsibility about controlling the information? The challenge for a company is much, much harder. Um, I just read an article uh, this morning that talked about the idea that one day deep fakes and not just video deep fakes, but document deep fakes and, and photographic deep fakes, audio deep fakes will be able to get so indistinguishable from the original because their digital nature. Um, a lot of the cues that you would see in an original document get blurred when you make digital copies. So it's harder to do forensics on them, but they'll get so good that this article says that in a couple of years, innocent people are going to go to jail because of deep fake evidence. It will be indistinguishable from the real thing. If you're a company, you not only have to protect your narrative and your image, but you have to protect the data that you're collecting against customers. And that's a whole different challenge than just, hey, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. Right. I think, it, you know, it's the it's the it's the age old balance of good and evil, right? I mean, as as much as you can leverage the technology um, to to do the wrong thing, you can also leverage it to do the right thing. So I have read a couple articles recently too about how the similar technology is being leveraged to identify deep fakes too. So you know, it's 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 um, it, 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 there's always a balance, and usually. And unfortunately, you know, we are reactive to the negative use in order to, you know, in order to better protect ourselves. Meaning, you know, if you look at ransomware, right, as an example, right, I mean, it's totally been a reactive response in terms of how do you better your data protection, your disaster recovery strategy in order to protect yourself so that you can recover, right? You got to focus on the recovery element. In this case, we have to focus on the identification element. You may not be able to stop the content from being created, but now you need a way of ensuring that you understand what content um, is in, in fact real, right? And, and, um, and, and what's, what's been faked, right? Um, so similarly, right, there are techniques out there and I'm sure 
um, that they're being leveraged in development of video um, analytics platforms um, that law enforcement may use and others, right, to to understand if a video is authentic, right? Um, but your point is well taken. If the technology is that good, if you were able to watch this on YouTube and you saw the video of, you know, how Arnold's face was essentially superimposed or, or you know, his features were brought into that video, I mean, the technology is quite good today. And this is, you know, this is not uh, as if this technology has been around for a very long period of time. No, it's, so. it's just the beginning of it, right? right. So, but I, I agree with the premise that data is going to get collected, right? right? So you're almost in like a Doctor Strange love situation. Um, you know, I don't know if everyone's seen that, but that's an, another movie with Peter Sellers. And the idea was that, you know, nuclear weapons were here, right? So the subtitle of the thing was Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Love the Bomb, right? And the whole premise was there's nothing you can do about it. This is an inevitability, right? That this is going to exist. So data is inevitably going to be collected. And the convenience and the positive aspects, like you said, are tremendous. I mean, we get a lot of benefit out of all the things that we use, like, you know, Google Home and, and navigation in the car. All that is a benefit of data collection. But there's a very negative and sinister side of it that's there, too. But what can you do about it? Right. What can you honestly do about the collection and manipulation of your data? Well, I mean, I think as an organization, though, right, you can right. you can do the right thing, right? And you can ensure the protection of that data. You can ensure the privacy of that data to the best of your ability, right? And that's really what we wanted to tie into this conversation because the purpose of regulations like GDPR um, by example, um, or one that's going to be uh, enacted, I think, uh, in January of next year, the Ca California Consumer Privacy Act. These are all about protecting personal information, either, you know, from an individual level or even from a household level, I think, which uh, the uh, yeah, CCPA covers. But, um, but this is to help organizations understand best practices around how, you know, how how they ensure that a the consumer has a right to know about the data that you know that they're that they're storing um you know that they have the ability to you know to um to opt out essentially right um in in certain situations and to have that data um destroyed in in certain situations as well right um so it's going to help shape um best practices again um and there's nothing like having you know monetary implications right having fines enacted if you're not following and there have some been some major fines in recent news around gdpr right over the past year or so that it's been in place um and you know that will that trend i'm sure will continue and as you know this concern grows because as it's leveraged more and more um in terms of you know the personal consumer information that is either being stolen from you know hackers right um, you look at like equifax right and the, that massive data breach right and and just i mean the fallout implications of that are incredible right it impacts most most americans to be honest and there's been um a follow-up on that right for those that have been involved um in their information that has been impacted and and now you know it's been part of kind of the ongoing lawsuit uh in 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 response from the company to have to deal with it um 
and, and that, I know that kind of branches into a totally different conversation around how you protect information, um, how you ensure the security of that data, but it's still along the same lines of taking personal information, right, and, and having that leaked and not having appropriate, uh, you know, appropriate procedures in place to protect, protect the data. Um, and this is a growing challenge. You mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned as we get into this constant collection of information and then the next generation of business is all around how do you produce value from that information so companies really want to leverage their data they want to store that data they have to do it appropriately and they may or may not know how to do that it's a very complex situation to be in because our last podcast we covered digital transformation a huge part of digital transformation is how do you leverage your data right and when when you're you know when you're looking to implement a new, um, you know, a new content management system, right? When you're looking to implement a new ERP, when you're looking to implement, um, you know, a, a new medical record system, most of what you're looking for from a feature perspective is how to be- better leverage the data. How can you, you know, how can you leverage the information you collect from your customers so that you can provide a better service to them, right? Um, you know, how can you collect more information so that you can understand more about the consumer? Because as a business, your goal obviously is to do right by your consumer. You want them to understand your capabilities and you also want to understand what they're looking for. You want to understand the challenges that they're having. You want to become predictive about that so you can get ahead of those things. That's where, you know, this falls directly into, because in order to better leverage that data, it means you're going to need to collect more data. It means you're going to need to analyze historical data, which means you're going to bring that data online again. You're going to need to protect that information. And that is a daunting, you know, process in terms of making sure you're meeting the requirements and rules and regulations around that data. And then, of course, giving the best value to your customers by leveraging that data. Um, so th- this comes really into the forefront, I believe, as a component of digital transformation. And that's why I think it's so critical. And, you know, that's why we're having a conversation about it today. Um, you know, as much as the deep fake thing can evoke some emotion, as you can see, kind of and think about the implications of that. Um, this is something that as we, whether it's video content, whether it's audio content, whether it's scanned documents, as we extract more uh, data and as we try to leverage this data, it's the same the same challenge in the same scenario around ensuring the protection in that it's being being used appropriately. So I, I think it's a foundation of digital transformation, right? Yep. So I think it's even beyond data protection. So it's about where does the data exist? How long does it exist? And what data is it? And one of the things that's common to GDPR and for the California Act is that you have to be notified of a breach, right? So one of the things that I notice, I don't know if you have this, but on one of my credit cards, I have um, the dark web scan thing where it tells me when, when my account has showed up in a, a dark web search or, or if it's been breached, right? A lot of the data that it reports, even within the last couple of weeks, are accounts I haven't used in 10 years, right? So why would the company be storing that data 10, 15 years down the road for something that I don't actively use that's just sitting there to be cherry picked and taken away? One of the core fundamentals about these regulations and about privacy in general, especially around IoT and especially around, you know, how do you use the data of your customers is what do you actually have to store? What are you legally required to store and what can be purged and what, you know, in effect should be purged as a fundamental step toward security? Even before you get to, you know, hey, I'm backing up, I'm archiving, I'm recovering from ransomware. 
even before you get there, there is no legitimate reason. If I signed it, uh, if I signed up for a Yahoo account when I was 18 years old, that that information should still be sitting around 25 years later. Right. Right. Like there's no legitimate reason for that. And yet I get alerts that my, you know, I don't know, whatever I did 20 years ago, you know, yo, your account's been coming. Why does it still exist? Right. 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 And it's fundamental to these regulations where they're going to say after X amount of time, get rid of that data. Right. Because if it's purged, you're, if, if it's compromised, you're responsible. Even if it's 25 years old, there's monetary penalties. Right. That is the best way to protect yourself against these things is to simply not have the data. You can't hack what doesn't exist. Right. Well, and that, and that this is, I think, where the challenge lies for many organizations, right? Knowing is half the battle. And so one of the things that we do um, at Iron Mountain, which I think is, is pretty unique and something that um, – organizations are truly starting to see the value because of this problem, as we mentioned, and its direct relation to digital transformation. All of a sudden, these concerns come to the forefront in terms of how you just develop your applications, right? How do you, what data sets are you accessing, right? Do you have, you know, do you you have the right to bring in certain information and collect certain information? what we do is we leverage a tool that we call policy center, which, you know, really gives you a full view of both, you know, both retention, but also privacy, um, uh, in, in all of the different citations and, and regulations that are associated with privacy based on kind of your jurisdiction. Right. So, you know, we have, I want to say around 9,000 or so citations around privacy in the U S alone. Um, you know, depending on what state you're in and everything else. And, and so, uh, and it's not just the state uh, that your business is in, right? If you're doing business with customers that reside in California, right, and, and are going to be governed under that 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 Privacy Act, you're going to have to make sure you meet those requirements, right? Um, yeah, I mean, even if if you have a website in Montana, right, and there's one person in California who's now buying something from you, right. you're under their jurisdiction, correct? And so. And so, again, knowing is half the battle. What that, what this particular solution allows you to do, um, you know, and this is a SaaS-based application, so it's something that you can get an account log into, and and uh, it allows you to really build out the the requirements and gain great kind of understanding uh, of what it is that you're going to need to meet based on your industry, based on again where you do business. Um, if you're a global organization, this is a global application. Um, it's one of the largest database that I'm aware of that gives you access to this information right at your fingertips. So again, knowing is half the battle. The other half of the battle is implementing. Um, and we're starting to build integrations into uh, different types of content management systems that will, and honestly, different applications altogether, not necessarily just content management, that allow you to then take you know, take these rules that you build and implement them into your practice, right? And uh, again, it's another huge part of the challenge as you go through your digital transformation efforts to ensure that you're you're meeting these requirements. So I think it's a great place to start, um, but it's going to be something that you're going to need to continuously develop, right? As 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 the world evolves, right? Um, and you know that that's that's where I wanted us to make sure we kind of really brushed on because knowing those rules and regulations are critical, whether they're in place today or they're coming in place tomorrow. 
most businesses are are not you know focused on a single state that they're in or a single town that they're in right most organizations are looking to grow um, they're looking to do either business nationwide or even worldwide and, and become a global organization and in order to do that effectively having a tool like policy center is something that's going to truly enable you to make sure you're meeting your requirements uh, across the globe and uh, and and again that's just the start though right there's substantially more that has to be done in considering how you develop and implement your solutions as well um, and how so, you leverage modern applications to do so i also think that there's an ethics discussion right so whether you're under the jurisdiction of a, a, a privacy or or a, a data retention uh, law or regulation right a lot of business is based on trust, particularly business over the internet, right? So it's ethical to treat your user's data with care and, and do as much as you can to protect it. It's ethical to not store data you don't have to store. It's ethical to inform them if you have a problem, right? I understand that's not, you know, an optimal situation, but, you know, it's better to be transparent and say, look, we have an issue here. And all of those things build trust. And I would contend to you that companies spend untold millions of dollars managing their brand. And one of the easiest ways to destroy a brand and destroy the trust of the consumer is to have these kind of data issues where, you know, you just can't trust the company you're doing business with. Building trust with the consumer, I think is going to become more important as, as all these businesses digitize, you know, that they're not storefronts anymore. You, you have no place to go to feel that the business is substantial. All they have is their reputation. All right if they're mistreating user data or there's these habitual problems you're going to lose trust look at facebook right right facebook collects a tremendous amount of information i just saw a video this woman pulled down her files from facebook she had everyone she's ever friend requested she found she had updates from when she was 18 years old that was still stored inside of these files in facebook right and they're careless with it and that's why facebook is losing market share they're losing users that's why people are going to other platforms because it's become sort of this evil empire where they collect this tremendous amount of information, they sell it to other people, right? And they don't tell you what they're doing, who they're selling it to, nor do they have any kind of duty of care. Right. It's out there for anybody who cares to hack them. They go, well, your problem, not mine. And they've had, you know, I would say this though, just in their defense, because they, you know, they've, they've had a bad run and they've had made some bad decisions in the past for sure. Um, but they have shifted their, position a bit um and they've put a greater degree of focus on this right and being transparent and and um you know at least this is I've, I've listened to some other podcasts um which had a few folks from their team that deal with privacy and and security of the data and um you know and and uh, the development of of how users are being notified about what's being done with their information so it, it kind of it, it's a great example though that shows you know how you can go down the wrong path um, relatively quickly because you're only thinking about ways to leverage data for financial gain um, and um, you know and to grow grow your business and it may not be the right thing to do uh, with with people's information right and and again that's that's part of the rub and and not all of that is going to be covered in in some policy or regulation, right? I mean, that's part of, like you said, it's moral. It's, it's, an, it's an ethical decision about how you, how you choose to, to leverage customer data. And, you know, is it within the letter of your 
click agreement, right? <laughs> or is it, you know, is it doing the right thing as well as making sure that your click agreement meets all of the requirements, right? Well, I, I mean, if you want to be cynical about it, you know, Facebook is doing, and I'm not saying that Facebook isn't, you know, a natural target. They're, they're a huge, huge presence on the internet. People are going to go after them, right? right? But that being said, if you want to take a, a cynical view of it, Facebook is doing these things because they have to, right? right. Because they're going to, they, they get fined, they get in trouble. People stop using the platform. They're doing security as a kind of a, a remedial exercise, right? I would contend that you're better off, right? Integrating this stuff into your data protection and privacy policy proactively before it becomes a problem. So you don't look like you're, you know, saying, hey, well, you know, now that we lost all your data or now that we made our billion dollars selling, <laughs> God knows who, right. now fix it. So, you, you know, you can trust us now before not so much, but now you can trust us. Right. I would say as a company, it, it takes much less effort to get ahead of it and just integrate it into what almost every company is doing. Like if you have paper files, right, you don't put them in the lobby, right? You right. put them in the secure area. It's the same thing if you do it proactively. A, from a from a, a perception standpoint, you look like you're doing the right thing. And B, it's less damaging. It's less, you know, to your reputation. It's less it, disruption to your process. And it's generally the right thing to do. Right. And probably more cost effective to spend a little bit of money up front doing it right than to get a $5 billion fine <laughs> because you're violating privacy, which I believe, I want to say it was Google, but the European Union just issued a, a $5 billion judgment against one of these massive uh, social media companies. Right. You know, and, and <laughs> I mean, five. Billion, I'm not saying that there's not a cost associated with it, but I promise it's not five billion dollars. Right. You know, believe me, if it was five billion dollars, this podcast would have much better production value. We'd have <laughs> video would be beautiful. <laughs> you know, my dog would be laying in the background. It'd be a whole thing. Man. No, but the, in some cases, you know, if you went back in time, um, you know, be, before probably the internet, um, in, in the, you know, before it was so easy to share information, kind of meeting the requirements probably felt more like a, you know, a, a back office task, right? It might be like a secondary, uh, oh, we, we do it because we have to do it kind of a thing. Right. Um, I think your point is well made that, you you should be doing this because you want to do it. It should be at the forefront of your thought around how you're modernizing your applications and how you're managing the information and the data that uh, that is tied to those applications. Um, I think if you're a CIO or a CTO, um, you know I, I got to imagine you're working with your CISO um, through you know through any of these transformation efforts, but. Um, how you're leveraging that data and the types of data you're leveraging is so critical. And that's why I said knowing is half the battle. You, you it, actually, we can relate this back to if you think on our first podcast, we were talking about cybersecurity and we brought up a video of uh, one of the, the C-level executives at JP Morgan. And they were talking about how they had, you know, 50,000 individuals working on their transformation, right? Well, this is where, in my opinion, for the average organization that may not have the scale um, or even for those that do, they still may not have the expertise. They may have hired the development expertise in AI, right? They may have data scientists on staff and they may be well-versed in how to code, you know, and, and uh, train machine learning algorithms. And, you know, they, again, this is at scale for some of these larger businesses, 
but are they also hiring the appropriate privacy individuals, the appropriate individuals that will maintain their uh, information governance strategy? And, um, and in some cases they have, and they are, um, but for many organizations, I think if it's not an area of your core business, this is where leveraging partners can make a lot of sense. And so just like you're probably going to the cloud because your core business isn't IT and you want to leverage the capabilities and, and the, the ease of use and the scalability of the cloud, you're going to want to think about who, it, you know, in the, in you know, in this era is going to help me on my privacy journey, who is going to help me on my data protection journey, who is going to help me even in your, um, um, your data analytics journey, because again, depending on your size, you may not have a staff of data scientists and an analytics team. And, you know, a company like Iron Mountain, we, we have that. And we have also the legal body behind it and the lawyers that, you know, that maintain this database of information for our policy center application. Well, we're building integrations from that application into our analytics platform. So not only can you analyze the information, but now you understand the rules and regulations that you need to apply that information to that information to ensure that you're doing things the right way and that you're, you know, that that you're only leveraging the, the data that can be leveraged, um, that you are applying the appropriate policy to data that's been identified and classified by that that system. And um, you know, that's with our insight platform, of course that we are kind of combining those worlds. I think that's missed a lot. If you look at many different kind of web or, or cloud-based SaaS applications that deal with machine learning and deal with um, leveraging AI um, to, to perform analysis of data, they're probably focused on performing the analysis and 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 getting you the information that you're looking for but they may not be considering um you know what um what policies and in the type of governance that needs to be applied to that information and so so again you know just to come back to the original point to have that expertise in-house um at that level is a very difficult and expensive thing to do Right. And it's only and it's not if it's not your core business, you probably are going to want to start thinking about, you know, who who you can leverage to do that. And there are very few people that tie those worlds together very well. So so you definitely hit the nail on the head. If I had to choose as a company, I mean, let's be realistic, right? I have 20 developers. Would I rather put those 20 developers on creating a product and features that make me revenue? Or would I rather take them and put them onto something that, like you said, is a back end process, an important one? but not directly a revenue generator, right? 99% of the time, especially small, mid-sized companies that don't have large scale are going to take their development resources, they're going to take their whatever resources, and they're going to put it into what generates revenue, right? The trick with us, and this is kind of inside baseball, but the trick with us is that this is what drives our revenue, right? Our entire company is dedicated to this particular set of functions in one version or another. We can go to a company and exactly like you said, say, look, take your 20 developers, put them on your core business, right? Do that. Make your revenue. Let us do what we do well. We can put a program in place because this is what makes us revenue. This is our business. This is where we dedicated our resources. You don't have to be responsible for that. We can give you a program that works on day one where you don't have to develop it. You can take your resources and do your thing. Because in my opinion, a company nine times out of 10 
is going to choose to take their resources and put it to something that generates revenue, not something that maybe becomes an issue 10 years from now or five years from now or even a year from now. You know, when I used to do backup and recovery, it was a thankless job. And what we used to say is nobody cares about backup until something goes wrong. Right. And then it's a nightmare. Companies don't think about this until something goes wrong. I really feel like as practitioners of this, one of our, you know, kind of imperatives is to go out and talk to the market and say, look, you have to do this for your customers, for your business, for your compliance. And here's a way to do it that's painless, cost effective, and it's all we do. It's literally our revenue driver. Right. You know? Yeah. I w- and I, I do think um, with GDPR in particular, there has been, you know, so much news about it. The fines have been been pretty large, right? Oh and, and, and with large uh, organizations um, that that are receiving them, um, it, it certainly is more top of mind, right? Than than uh, than things of the past. It's kind of like ransomware with with backup and recovery, like you're talking about, right? It um, kind of a resurgence of of concern around how you're protecting your data if you're taking it off offline or off site, right, into another location, um, and uh, and and you know and 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 again with with data privacy, right, it, it's right. really at the forefront of of the news and um, at the top of mind for many folks. Um, agree with everything that you said around kind of our core capabilities. I would also say that because we're helping more organizations through a transformation that we can lead with it as well. Right. So we're seeing, we're seeing a pull through, right. Of, of more, uh, of our capability and our solution set because of the fact that, you know, when we're helping customers with an AI project, you know, performing, uh, analytics on, on a certain set of data, um, you know, because we have these platforms available to our customers, right? We can kind of bring them together and 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 build out a solution that makes sense. Um, one, I do want to go back to a comment that I made earlier too, because you had me thinking about it a little bit more. Is you know, back before, you know, I was saying before the internet, but you know, what I meant, what I mean by that is, you know, back before digital information was at the forefront of the lifeblood of a business, right? You know, back when we really truly were relying on paper records and, and physical records, um, you know, the, the concern wasn't as great because that data wasn't as easily accessible. It was in physical format. And so, you know, by simply leveraging a company like Iron Mountain to store and protect records and having chain of custody on those, you know, we really could build out a plan that was based on, just that locale, right? It was based on going to a physical location and picking up physical information and protecting physical information. Many companies are in a transitional state. So that that digital transformation effort may be of a digital system. It may be, and we actually talked about this on our second podcast a little bit when we were talking about IT transformation versus digital transformation. You know, the, it, it may be the transformation of an already existing digital system, but it may be also... Um, you know, a physical to digital, right? It may be a document scanning project, right? To bring new information uh, into the digital world so that you can then leverage that information. And once again, you probably had policy on the physical document That's, that carries through into the digital into the digital world, right? The digital side. And on the digital side, it's more complex because it's much easier to copy that information. It's much easier to modify that information um, and, and either, you know, 
not have that tracked appropriately right um so uh, again you know it's it's a it's a challenge and it's not the core competency of many organizations out there and you know that's an area that we're seeing a lot of customers that we're able to help as they go through an effort to reduce the reliance on managing physical assets right whether those are physical tapes whether those are physical documents um, whether you know it's some form of microfiche or or um you know or 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 if it's all of those audio tapes or you know it could be anything right so yep and um and and again you know now in this new world where you're able to leverage all of this information as you digitize it right and as you convert that information um it all comes now into play around building an appropriate program on how you manage that data going forward um, and carrying through some of the rules that you maybe had in place, or maybe this is an opportunity because you're trying to eliminate the reliance or the need to manage physical assets to build out a program to understand which of those assets you do need to keep. Because if it's a backup tape from 15 years ago that has a copy of James's Yahoo account on it, um, you know, and and you have no right to maintain that information anymore and still have access to that, what could be personal information if you created a profile, right? right? How are you going to deal with that? And, um, you know, that could be uncovered in an audit in the future. So it's an opportunity as we go through a digital transformation to really broaden that arbiter of what you're looking at to ensure that you have an appropriate physical um, you know, record management policy, and then you're bridging that into your digital world and you're probably enhancing it at this point because now there are tools and technology out there such as, you know, Policy Center integrated into an ECM tool that allow you to create the requirement and create the, uh, and um, adhere to that requirement, I should say, um, around those policies, right? So leveraging technology to automatically classify content and apply the appropriate retention policy and alert you when something is falling out of that policy. And it's something that you need to look at, possibly eliminate, remove, delete, um, you know, make sure that personal information is not shared with the wrong individuals. All of those things come into play. Um, so again, you know, we're, we're doing this all the time and it's something that uh, I highly recommend if you're not getting ahead of as an organization that you're thinking about getting ahead of that. So. Yeah. I mean, just as like a, a final thought on that, from the Yahoo perspective, why would I ever do business with Yahoo again? You know, I'm getting a notification for something I haven't used. It was a fairly simple thing from 15 years ago. Why would I trust them with my credit card information? Why would I trust them to sell me a product? That's the danger that you're running into. Once you lose a consumer's trust, there's so many other options out there. Why would I ever chance it for something so silly as you couldn't purge out data that was older than 15 years? you don't have the ability to identify that data that seems insane to me yeah you know i I mean that's just seems like a basic thing why would i trust them it does um it seems like a basic thing but from from my viewpoint i'm sure from yours right we've got an insider look at a lot of different complex organizations we've seen how they evolve over time people change technology change process change right all of those things can create gaps. They can create, um, you know, these these areas that are in the dark, that are unknown. You lost the index for this, you know, for this 
you know, this, this group, a, a collection of either physical data or, or digital information. You don't, you no longer have, you know, your, your, uh, tape catalog for the tapes. So you don't know what's on them anymore, right? They have to be re-indexed, right? All of those things. We're helping with all these things all the time. Um, but again, as simple as it seems, I can understand the complexity and, in, in that, in, in, again, that just leads itself back into, it's not going to get any easier. So you have to get ahead of it. Um, now is the time to understand your digital footprint, right? To mm-hmm. understand where your data lives, how it exists, how it's being managed today, where copies of that data are going, how it's being protected, and how are you ensuring the appropriate governance of that, the appropriate policies are being put in place and that you're maintaining them, not because you have to, but because you want to and because it's the right thing to do and because it will help you gain better understanding of what you can leverage in the right way so that as you transform your business, as you collect more information about your customers, that you can, you know, you can Godspeed, right? You, you can, you can move forward. You can leverage it to, uh, you know, to grow your business, to grow your revenue and, um, you know, and to provide better services for your customers that are going to make them feel that yeah. level of trust that you mentioned before. Yeah. If you do it the right way, you can monetize the data you have without eroding your customer's trust and without putting yourself into a legal situation or a compliance situation. Yeah. If it's done the right way. I if agree. it isn't, it could be a disaster. I agree. On that note, I think it's, uh, you know, I think uh, it's been a great talk. I know we're, we're, we're bridging over the 45 minutes here. So I uh, truly appreciate your time, James, and, and even more so anyone who's listening to this. We truly appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback that we've been getting. And, uh, you know, folks have been finding this quite valuable and, and that means a lot to us. And hopefully this episode, uh, we've done well by you. So, yeah. And, and everybody keep sending us emails. Um, I, I appreciate getting them. If you guys have topics you want to hear about, if there's stuff you want to hear us talk about, we'd be happy to, to react to that. And, you know, if you made it through the 45 minutes with us, uh, happy to have you. And thank you. We appreciate the uh, support. Truly appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. It was great to see you on the digital side. Take care. Take care, everybody.